Chapter 7 of Round About a Great Estate by Richard Jeffries. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 The Cuckoo Fields. The cuckoos came so frequently to some grassland just outside the chase and sloping down to the brook that I gave the spot the name of the Cuckoo Fields. There were two detached copses in them of no great extent and numerous oaks and hawthorns while the brook below was bordered with willow stoles. This stretch of grass was divided into two large fields by a line of decaying posts and rails, and it became a favorite resort of mine in the warm days of spring, because I could almost always see and hear the cuckoos here. Why they should love it so much is not easy to tell, unless on account of the comparatively barren character of the soil. The earth seemed to be of a very different kind to that in the rich and fertile meadows and fields close by, for the grass was rough, short, and thin, and soon became grayish or brown as the summer advanced, burning or drying up under the sun. It may often be observed that a piece of waste, like furs, when in the midst of good land, is much frequented by all birds and animals, though where there is nothing else but waste, they are almost entirely absent. As the oaks come out into full leaf, the time when the meadows become beautiful, the notes of the cuckoo sound like a voice crying, Come hither, from the trees. Then, sitting on the gray and lichen-covered rail under the cover of a hawthorn, I saw sometimes two and sometimes three cuckoos following each other, courting, now round the copse, now by the hedge of the brook, and presently along the rails where they constantly perched. Occasionally, one would alight on the sward among the purple flowers of the meadow orchis. From the marshy meadow across the brook, a peewit rose from time to time, uttering his plaintive call and wheeling to and fro on the wing. At the sound, a second and a third appeared in succession, and after beating up and down for a few minutes, settled again in the grass. The meadow might have been called a plovery, as we say rookery and heronry, for the green plovers or peewits always had several nests in it. Of course, the humble bees that went by could be watched for some way. Their large size and darker color made them visible as they now went down into the grass and now started forward again. The honey bees, small and somewhat lighter in color, could not be seen so far. They were busy in the sunshine, for the hive bee must gather most of its honey before the end of July before the scythe has laid the grass in the last meadow low. Few, if any, flowers come up after the scythe has gone over, except a white clover, which almost alone shows in the aftermath, or as the country people call it, the latter math. Near me, a titlark every few minutes rose from the sward, and spreading his wings came down a slant, singing with all his might. Some sarsen stones just showed above the grass, the old folks say that these boulders grow in size and increase in number. The fact is that in some soils the boulder protrudes more and more above the surface in the course of time, and others come into view that were once hidden, while in another place the turf rises, and they seem to slowly sink into the earth. The monotonous and yet pleasing cry of the peewits, the sweet titlark singing overhead, and the cuckoos flying around, filled the place with the magic charm of spring. Coming to these cuckoo fields day after day, there was always something to interest me, either in the meadows themselves or on the way thither. 
the very dust of the road had something to show for under the shadowy elms a little seed or grain had jolted down through the chinks in the bed of a passing wagon and there the chaffinches and sparrows had congregated as they moved to and fro they had left the marks of their feet in the thick white dust so crossed and intertangled in a maze of tracks that no one could have designed so delicate and intricate a pattern if it was cloudy still glancing over the cornfields just as you turned partly round to look there seemed a brilliant streak of sunshine across them this was a broad band of charlock its light yellow is so gaudy and glaring in the mass that as it first catches the eye it seems as if the land were lit up by the sun after it the buttercups appear of a quiet color like dead gold in contrast underfoot almost in the very dust of the road the silver weed opened its yellow petals and where there was a dry bank or by the gateways leading into the corn the pink pimpernel grew from some time i suspected the pimpernel of not invariably closing its petals before rain and at last by precise observation found that it did not twice in a comparatively short period i noticed the petals wide open within a few minutes of a shower it appears rather to close during the atmospheric change which occurs previous to the rain than to the rain itself once now and then a shower seems to come up in the driest weather without warning or change in the atmosphere the cloud is over and gone almost before it seems worth while to take shelter to the approach of such shower clouds the pimpernel does not invariably respond but it is perfectly accurate if anything serious be brewing by a furrow in the sward by the roadside there grew a little piece of some species of gorse so small and delicate with the tiniest yellow flowers that it was well worthy of a place where it would be admired for few could have seen it hidden there bird's foot lotus covered the sward on one part of the cuckoo fields on the higher ground near the woods where the soil was dry and by the hedge there were some bushy plants of the rest harrow whose prickly branches repel cattle and whose appearance reproaches the farmer for neglect yet though an outcast with animals and men it bears a beautiful flower butterfly shaped and delicately tinted with pink now as the days roll on the blue succory and the scarlet poppies stand side by side in the yellow wheat but just outside my cuckoo fields and one or two stray corn cockles bloom they are not common here and are perhaps brought from a distance here you may walk many miles and even wait several harvests to see a corn cockle the thistledown floats and see yonder the white balls are rolling before the gentle air along the very tips of the bronzing wheat ears by the hedge the straggling stalks of st john's wort lift the yellow petals dotted with black specks above the bunches of grass the leaves held up to the light seem to have numerous eyelets as if pricked but not quite through windows in the leaf in the grass the short self-heel shows and leaning over the gate on the edge of the wheat you may see curious prickly seed vessels of the corn buttercup the hedgehog whose spines however will not scratch the softest skin resting on the rail under the hawthorn for a minute or two in early spring when it was too chilly to stay long i watched a flock of rooks and jackdaws soaring in the sky round and round and ever upwards they circled the jackdaws of course betraying their presence by their call up towards the blue as if in the joy of their hearts 
they held a festival happy in the genial weather and the approaching of the nesting time this soaring and wheeling is evidently done for recreation like a dance presently the flock seems to tumble and fall and there comes the rushing sound of the air swiftly parted by their outspread wings as they dive a hundred feet in a second the noise is audible a quarter of a mile off this too is play for catching themselves and regaining their balance just above the elms they resume their steady flight onwards to distant feeding grounds later in the season sitting there in the warm evenings i could hear the pheasants utter their peculiar roost cry and the noise of their wings as they flew up in the wood the vibration is so loud that it might almost be described as thumping by and by the cuckoo began to lose his voice he gurgled and gasped and cried quack 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 and could not utter the soft melodious coo the latest date on which i ever heard the cuckoo here to be certain was the day before st swithin july fourteenth eighteen seventy nine the nightingales too lose their sweet notes but not their voices they remain in the hedges long after their song has ceased passing by the hawthorn bushes up to the end of july you may hear a bird within that seems to threaten you with a loud sweet cur and looking in you will find it to be a nightingale the spelling exactly represents the sound the r being twirled sweet cur cur comes from the interior of the bushes with an angry emphasis along the lower part of these meadows there was a brook and the brook sparrows were chattering ceaselessly as i walked among the willow stoles by it one morning towards the end of june on the left hand the deep stream flowed silently round its gentle curves and on the other through the willows and alders the grassy slope of the cuckoo fields was visible broad leaves of the marsh marigold the flower long since gone covered the ground light green horsetails were dotted thickly about and tall grasses flourished rising to the knee dark shallow pools were so hidden under these grasses and plants that the presence of the black and yet clear water could not be perceived until the foot sank into it the sedge-birds kept just in front of me now busy on a willow stole and concealed in the grasses and moss which grew out of the decaying wood now among the sedges covering the mud-banks where the brook had silted up now in the hedge which divided the willows from the meadow still the peculiar sparrow-like note the ringing chirp came continually from their throats the warm sultry day delighted them one clung to the side of a slender flag which scarcely seemed strong enough to support it yet did not even bend under its weight then on again as i came nearer but only two or three yards to recommence singing immediately pushing through the brushwood and past the reddish willow poles i entered a very thicket of flags rising to the shoulder these were not ribbed or bayonet shaped but flat like a long sword three or four sprang from a single root broad and tall and beside them a stalk and on it the yellow iris and fall flower the marsh seemed lit up with these bright lamps of color under the shadowy willows and the dark alders there were a dozen at least within a few yards close around and others dimly visible through the branches three large yellow petals drooping and on the curb of each brownish mottled markings or lines delicately stippled beside them a rolled spike-like bloom not yet unfolded a flower of the waters crowned with gold above the green dwellers by the shore 
Here the sedge-birds left me, doubling back to their favorite willow-stoles and sedges. Further on, the ground rose, and on the drier bank the gicks grew shoulder-high, towering over the brambles. It was difficult to move through the tangled underwood, so I went out into the cuckoo-fields. Hillary had drained away much of the water that used to form a far larger marsh about here, and calculated his levelings in a most ingenious manner with hollow gicks. He took a wooden bowl and filled it to the brim with water. Then, cutting a dry gix so that it should be open at either end like a tube, he floated it, the stock is very light, on the bowl. Looking through this tube, he could get his level almost as accurately as with an engineer's instrument, though of course it was more cumbrous to use. There was a corner here that had not been mown for a long time, and in the autumn the wild carrots took possession of it, almost to the exclusion of grass and other plants. The flower of the wild carrot gathers together as the seeds mature, and forms a framework cup at the top of the stalk, like a bird's nest. These bird's nests, brown and weather-beaten, endured far into the winter. The brook sparrows still sang as I passed by again in the evening. They seem the most unwearied of birds, for you may hear them all day, all the evening, and at one o'clock next morning. Indeed, at intervals, all night. By night the note is, or appears to be, less sparrow-like, or perhaps the silence of night improves it to the ear. I stayed that evening in a corner of a wheat field not yet yellow, and watched the shadows of the trees grow longer and broader as the sun declined. As the breeze rushed over the corn, there was a play of various shades of green, the stalks as they bent this and that way taking different hues. But under the hedge it was still. The wind could not come through, though it moved the boughs above. A mass of cloud-like flocks of wool, mottled and with small spaces of blue between, drifted slowly eastward, and its last edge formed an arch over the western horizon, under which the sun shone. The yellow vetchling had climbed up from the ditch and opened its flower, and there were young nuts on the hazel bough. Far away in a copse, a wood pigeon called. Nearer, the blackbirds were whistling. A willow wren uttered his note high in the elm, and a distant yellow hammer sang to the sinking sun. The brook had once been much wider, and in flood times rendered the Overboro Road almost impassable, for before a bridge was built, it spread widely and crossed the highway, a rushing, though shallow, torrent fifty yards broad. The stumps of the willows that had grown by it could still be found in places, and now and then an ancient bull-pole was washed up. This grass is so tough that the tufts or cushions it forms will last in water for fifty years, even when rooted up. Decayed, of course, and black, but still distinguishable. In those times, just previous to the construction of the railways, when the lord of the manor came down after Parliament rose, there used to be a competition to get hold of his coachman. So few agricultural people traveled, and news came so slowly and in such a distorted fashion that the coachman became a great authority. Such a brook as this was then often a serious obstacle. There was an old punt, seldom used, to be found in a rickyard of Hillary's, close by which was an extensive pond. The punt was thatched over with flags from the stream. 
the moorhens were fond of this pond because it was surrounded with a great quantity of rushes they were numerous all up the brook these birds being tame and common are not much regarded either for sport or the table yet a moorhen shot at the right time of year not till the frosts have begun is delicious eating if the bird were rare it would be thought to rival the woodcock as it is probably few people ever taste it the path to luckett's place from this rickyard passed a stone quarry where the excavated stone was built up in square heaps in these heaps in which there were many interstices and hollows rabbits often sat out and by stopping the entrance and carefully removing the stones they might occasionally be taken by hand next by the barn where in spring the sparrows made a continuous noise chirping and quarrelling as they carried on their nesting operations they sometimes flew up with long green bennets and grass fibers as well as with dry straws then across the road where the flint heaps always put me in mind of young aaron for he once gravely assured me that they were the very best places in the world on which to rest or sleep the flints were dry and preserved the slumbering wayfarer from the damp he had no doubt proved this when the ale was too strong at the house i passed through the courtyard found him just on the point of starting for overborough with a wallet to bring back some goods from the shops the wallet is almost unknown even in the farmsteads now it is a kind of long bag closed at each end but with a slit in the centre for the insertion of the things to be conveyed when filled it is slung over the shoulder one end in front and the other behind so as to balance without knowing the shape of a wallet the story of jack the giant killer stowing away such enormous quantities of pudding is scarcely to be understood children nowadays never see such a thing many nursery tales contain allusions of this kind the meaning of which must be obscure to the rising generation within doors i found a great discussion going forward between hillary and the farmer who had called as to the exact relationship of a man who had just quitted his tenancy and another who died nearly forty years before they could not agree either as to the kinship or the date though the visitor was the more certain because he so well remembered that there was an extraordinary cut of turvin that year the turvin is the hay made on the lees not the meadows out of the rough grass and bennets left by the cows to listen to the zest with which they entered into the minutest details of the family affairs of so long ago concerning people with whom neither had any connection how they recollected the smallest particulars was astonishing this marvelous capacity for gossip seemed like a revelation of a totally different state of society the memory of country people for such details is beyond belief when the visitor left with his wife we walked to the gate and saw them down the road and it was curious to note that they did not walk side by side if you meet a farmer of the old style and his wife walking together never do you see them arm in arm the husband walks a yard or two in front or else on the other side of the road and this even when they are going to church End of chapter seven